one of the uh, ways of describing what insight meditation is, is to see it as a being about practicing ways of seeing our experience that lead to a sense of freedom and letting go. If you like, we're, we're practicing viewing our experience through different lenses. And uh, if, you, if you look at the Satipatthana Sutta, which some of you may know well, which is the sort of core text of insight meditation, what the Buddha is offering in, in that teaching is this sequence of lenses that we can use to view our experience. A sequence of suggestions of places of where we can place our attention and look at our experience in a certain way that has the potential to be liberating. And uh, yesterday morning, Rob spoke about the first of these uh, lenses, if you like, uh, which is the theme of the body. Uh, And uh, actually, the Buddha's teachings around the body, there's a whole sequence of of lenses, ways of relating to the body in our meditation practice. Uh, And that's the first foundation of mindfulness in this sutta. And I'd like to say a little bit this morning about the second foundation of mindfulness. So so, uh, another lens through which we can view our experience during our practice. And that's the... The second foundation is, is uh, the Pali word for it, is Vedana, V-E-D-A-N-A, which uh, is related to the Sanskrit word for, for touching. And it refers to the, the quality of our experience as being pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, neither unpleasant nor pleasant. And what the Buddha points out is that any experience we have, any experience on the large scale or the micro scale, has this sort of flavor to it. This, this some people call it the hedonic tone. It has a, has a flavor of being pleasant, unpleasant or neutral. We don't have any experience that doesn't have that flavor, doesn't have one of those three flavors to it. And these experiences come to us through our six senses. So sight, so seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, or thinking. So in the, in, in the Buddhist psychology, the mind operates like a sense organ. And it's, I think this is it's just such a clever way of seeing it. It's really helpful uh, to see the mind. So the thoughts that we have or the images that come to us, you imagine them as being a bit analogous to sights that come up or sounds that come up. And there's a sense organ, which is the mind, that receives this experience. And any experience we have, any thought we have, is going to have a, 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 a flavor to it of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, neither pleasant nor unpleasant. Or, or any sight that we see has got that, that flavor to it, or any sound that we hear, or taste, 
or any body sensation. Does this make sense? I know this is really familiar terrain to, to some of you here. And if it is familiar terrain, maybe use the opportunity of these words just to be contemplating Vedana as they're arising and passing away. Because, I mean, every moment, you know, we're, we're having lots and lots of these experiences, aren't we? Sense experiences. So we have a pleasant thought. Mm, nice. And then our, you know, there's, our knee is aching. Oh, unpleasant feeling. Or then you know, there's the sort of residue of the cup of tea in the mouth, which is, oh, that's rather nice. Or, or there's just the sort of neutral fuzziness of the sensation of sitting. You know, and, and the attention is constantly moving, isn't it, between these sort of fizzy Vedana experiences, moment by moment by moment. And uh, we're always going to have them. You know, we have them, Buddhas have them. You know, Vedana are, is present in any moment of experience. And the Buddha really, he, he is, a lot of his teaching encourages us to pay particular attention to this quality that we might so easily overlook. Why? Because we can notice that it's, it, it's, it's at that place of the arising of pleasant and unpleasant experience that our whole reactivity is located. You know, that we are hardwired to want more of the pleasant and want less of the unpleasant. You know, even a few cells, if you give them a stimulus, will recoil in response to, to that stimulus. So there's something very deep in our sort of neurophysiology or whatever the word is uh, that, that, that re- reacts to Vedana. And to see that that is, in a sense, it's in that reactivity that our craving is born. The craving that Christina was speaking about a couple of nights ago so beautifully. You know, that, that we, most of the time, are unconscious in, in going from pleasant feeling tone, the experience of pleasant feeling tone, to the sense of craving, the thirst for more, the desire to push away, the aversion, the push and pull of our experience. And, you know, even as you just sit here now, you can, you can feel it's a sort of like, it's almost like there's a sort of caustic quality in our experience that, that is experiencing the flickering of pleasant and unpleasant and that there's a pull towards the pleasant and a push away. We don't want that thought. We don't want that memory. We do want to understand, or we do want the pleasant sitting we had at at, um, 6.45 this morning. You know, we can just feel the push and pull of our reactivity. And, and it happens at this micro level, and you know what, what, is, what are our habits, what are our addictions, what are our compulsions, but just the ingrained reactivity that we do again and again and again in response to pleasant and unpleasant and neutral Vedana.
the Buddha in his, in his teachings of dependent origination. He, he highlights this, what, this, this link between feeling, the, the Vedana tone, and the craving that arises. It's that, at that point that our practice can intervene and help us to break out of the cycle of suffering in which we're otherwise so perpetually and unconsciously caught. If you like, it's, it's, it's the degree to which we understand or don't understand Vedana reactivity, if you like, that determines how much we suffer. You know, the, the sense of self, the defensive sense of self, the sense of world, the sense of other, all arises at that point in, in, in Buddhist psychology, that point of the reaction to pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. And as I say, said, you know, some people here will be very familiar with working with this. Uh, and for us all, I think it's something really just to uh, just invite you to make this an exploration. Just to notice, even as you're sitting here now, just notice the, the arising of pleasant experience the arising of unpleasant experience and the sense of neutral experience. Just keep that very simple. You know, and feel the, as I said, the sort of pull of the organism in response to that. And so in, in terms of of practicing, if if you would like to make this a theme of your your practice on this retreat and and today, just a few suggestions around that. The first is is that obviously, as you see, you know, as you pay attention, you can see how quickly these experiences of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral are arising and passing away. So don't expect that you're going to be able to track all of them. If you sit there and say, right, you know, every version that arises I'm going to be aware of, you know, you're going to manage a few seconds maybe. Um, so just you know, as you're doing your sitting, as you're doing your walking, just be on the lookout for the prominent experiences where there's a strong sense of Vedana arising. You know, maybe you, the mind gets lost in a fantasy that is pleasant. You, you know, you're asleep in the fantasy, and then, oh yeah, okay, that was pleasant. And then the perception, I was lost, unpleasant. <laughs> or there's a, there's, a, there's a strong pain in the body. Or there's a harsh sound that really strikes you. Or somebody crosses your walking path or as Christina said the salad runs out you know just just experiences that are you don't have to catch all of these just 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 have a sort of intention okay I'm going to notice the strong ones that arise during today the difficult memory that keeps recurring the worry that I can't seem to step out of just just acknowledge the Vedana of the prominent experiences you have Simply asking the question, is this pleasant 
or is it unpleasant? It's unlikely to be neutral if it's a prominent experience. Because, of course, what we, what we do with the neutral is we tend to get bored with it, don't we? You know, that's why sometimes the, the, uh, you know, the experience of being on retreat is, is acclimatizing ourselves to a more neutral environment. So where what we're focusing on is the breath which can be relatively neutral as an object. You know, and, and our minds are so hungry for intensity that they slide off the neutral, don't they? They go in search of something pleasant. So we find you know, even an unpleasant memory is somehow more juicy than, than the neutral breath. You know, we sort of, the mind seems to go for that. Uh, and, and part of practice is about really acclimatizing ourselves just to the to neutral calm. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the neutral uh, peacefulness of the breath or the silence. It's very lovely for the mind. But as I say, it, 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 you know, look out for the, the strong Vedana. And... One thing I find really helpful is to, to practice tuning to the actual Vedana quality of the experience. So if there's a pain in the knee, for instance, the attention tends to go to the, to the, the throbbing and the sensation. See what it's like to, to tune your attention to the unpleasantness of that. Did you see the, the distinction there between the actual, the sort of the pain and the unpleasantness of the pain? Or the difference between that, that painful thought, you know, the thought itself, the content of the thought, you know, what she said to me, or whatever it is, and the unpleasant quality of it. So it's asking a certain fineness of our mindfulness, just to say, okay, so what's the unpleasant sort of fur on this experience. See if I can tune to that. What's unpleasant about that, that experience? Or what's pleasant about the thought of lunch? Can I, can I... Let's put that differently. You have the thought of lunch, and there's a sort of, hmm, about that. Can I focus in on that quality of pleasant rather than the actual imagining of, of lunch? <laughs> so this is the first, first suggestion. So you focus in on the Vedana quality itself. And the second suggestion is, is you know, we, we can feel in response to the Vedana, we feel the reactivity. We feel how our body tenses, our mind tenses. You know, we want something or we don't want something. You know, you feel your system go into reactive mode. Practice relaxing with the Vedana tone. So you have a fear. Fear arises strongly. You feel your system contract with that fear. Practice relaxing the body as best you can, letting that fear be there. So that rather than deepening into the reactive spiral, of the, the, 
that craving takes you into. See what it's like to relax the body. Can you be present with the, with the unpleasant? Can you almost... There's a saying, isn't there, that what you can breathe with, you can be with. And, you, you know, you may or may not agree with that, but it's interesting exploration to see what's it like to see if I can breathe with this fear. You know, really breathe out with the fear. Because the out-breath will take you more towards a sense of relaxation. This, this, is, this is really about, in a sense, being able to hold relationship with the unpleasant. Because what we tend to do is we tighten up, we contract, we go into our reactivity, we go unconscious, our breath gets shallow, you know. And actually, you know, we have a degree of control over our bodily experience that we can use to help us be with the unpleasant. You know, even with that painful memory or that intense fear, can I just right now soften my system a bit? You know, let go of what tension I can, breathe out as best I can. And it's, it's important as we do this to, to, to use the body as our ground. You know, the lower half of the body, the contact with the floor, the contact with the cushion or the chair. You know, when, when the unpleasant is arising or when the pleasant is arising, just seeing if you can let that be a resource for you in, 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 in coming into relationship with Intense Vedana, the intensely unpleasant, the intensely pleasant. So uh, the third suggestion, so the first was, well, I suppose the first was about only, you you only need to spot the big ones. The second is this point about tuning to the Vedana itself, the quality itself. The third is the the practicing relaxing the reactivity. The fourth is to notice the impermanence of it, of Vedana experience. It flickers and it comes and it goes. You know, even, even in the midst of a day when we have a lot of anger or when the mind is really depressed, we can notice that that's not around continuously. You know, the, there can be the intense moments of intense unpleasantness. And then there's quite a lot of neutral or even some times of pleasant. And then we remember and we go back into the thought pattern and it's unpleasant again. But just to notice that Vedana, the pleasant and the unpleasant, flickers, comes and goes. I, uh, uh, I um, have been a school teacher for a while and uh, I used to talk with the pupils about about this and because they would spend the morning looking forward to the uh, snicker bar in break time you know and and break time was this thing that they were just you know they were lessons one to three sometimes were you know all about looking forward to the breakfast they hadn't had in the morning the chocolate breakfast they hadn't had in the morning and and uh, and just say you know how long does the pleasure last as you have the snicker bar you know a mouthful maybe maybe it's the first bite basically 
you know. And after that, it becomes quite rapidly more neutral, you know. Uh, and, you know, the lunch that we can spend a morning at Gaia House sort of secretly looking forward to, you know, just notice that the, that big anticipation of a pleasure, pleasant Vedana, it, it goes pretty quick, you know. After the, you know, the more you chew on a morsel of food, it moves towards the neutral. So just noticing the impermanence of Vedana can help us to take them a little bit less seriously or for them to become less built up in the mind as, as, as uh, um, sources of craving and aversion. And the last, the last suggestion is, is just to notice also their conditioned nature. So, you know, the, the, if you put your hands on a hot plate, you're, you're probably going to have an unpleasant Vedana. In fact, you are going to have an unpleasant Vedana because that's built into our physiology. For most of everything else, we can notice that it is constructed, the pleasant or the unpleasant aspect of it, is to a considerable degree constructed by the mind and by our past experience. It's constructed by perception. So, for instance, you know, the switch that we're often invited to make in practice from seeing something as a problem to seeing it as an opportunity. You know, okay, so what can this pain in my knee teach me? You know, what can this grief, what can I learn from this grief? What is it inviting me to, what skillful response is it inviting me to cultivate? There's a practice in Tibetan Buddhism where you're invited to see uh, the world as full of enlightened beings except for one, which is yourself. And all the other beings, they're all enlightened and they're all here with one purpose, which is to teach you exactly what you most need to learn. You know, it's, it's a pretty, it's a quite a full-on practice, isn't it? You know, it's a bit of a stretch. But it's an interesting, it's an interesting perception game, isn't it? About how we, how we construct Vedana. How we construct the sense of this person, you know, really shouldn't be behaving like that. And that's a real problem. Unpleasant, unpleasant. To, okay, so what can I learn from this? You know, what, what, it's that sense of experience as being curriculum, you know, here, here to teach us something. I used to imagine uh, yeah, when coming here, if I was in a room with someone snoring, that it was uh, Ajahn Chah reincarnated trying to teach me something. Because he used, he used to be quite um, mischievous in terms of doing uh, things that would niggle people and uh, uh, just so that it would help them to develop patience and compassion and understanding. <laughs> Tuning to the Vedana itself, practicing relaxing reactivity, <laughs> noticing impermanence, of pleasant and unpleasant. Noticing what happens if you shift your perspective to see things as opportunities or teachings or as having uh, an invitation in them. 
And I was going to say quite a lot about the hindrances, but uh, well, I'll say a little. Because, of course, the hindrances are all about how we react to Vedana. You know, that this list that probably most people are familiar with of, of, of the five sort of perennial ways in which our, our, our sense of presence, our sense of clarity gets obscured. So by sense desire, by aversion in all its flavours, which includes anger and frustration and boredom and regret and guilt and fear, by sleepiness and dullness, by restlessness and agitation and worry, that's the fourth. And the fifth is, is doubt, which is the sort of the doubt where we, uh, it has a quality, it's the sort of doubt that has a quality of fear in it. It's a slightly paralyzing quality where we think, I can't do this. You know, I just can't do this. Uh, or or we, we doubt the practice, you know. I think, oh, should have done something more fun for my new year this year, you know. Shouldn't have come on this retreat. I'm always doing this to myself, you know. That, that, that quality where we, we, that pulls us away from the path, that, that fifth hindrance. And, uh, you know, it's an interesting just reflection, just, well, what's the relationship between the hindrances and the Vedana? And just seeing how it's, it's our unconscious reactivity to Vedana that launches us into a hindrance and that feeds it. And at the risk of, um, at the risk of, giving another list. Well, I'm going to take the risk of giving another list. Um, it's a little acronym that I find really helpful for working with the hindrances, and it's the acronym RAIN, which may not be too difficult to remember today. Um, and it stands for, and some of you will know this, recognize, allow, investigate, and not self or non-identification. And so just to say a little bit about each of those, that, that the, the key with the hindrances, the really, the really key bit is to recognize that they're present. You know, huh, so this is, this is boredom, you know, or this is grief, or, oh, this is restlessness, and it's a hindrance. You know, it's not my natural state, it's not the ultimate you know, truth of the universe, it's just a hindrance visiting to recognize it and name it. And this can really help us, help prevent us from being taken for a ride by the hindrances, because particularly desire, aversion, such as anger or, or doubt, can really take us for a ride and fill, you know, fill days, you know, fill the universe with their force. So that's the recognize. And just sometimes to say something like, okay, so fear is like this. It can be really helpful just to name it. And then the second, allow. You know, 
so often Jake was describing last night, you know, with his experience on the train and allowing himself to have the reaction that he had to what the chap said, you know. And, and there's something really important here about allowing ourselves to have the experience that we're having. Not to be ashamed of our fear. We don't need to be ashamed of our fear or our anger. We don't need to be judgmental about our sleepiness. You know, I think one of the things with the hindrances is the, is the importance of neither underestimating them nor overestimating them. We, we, we can underestimate them and think, you know, come on, day three of the retreat, I really shouldn't be struggling still with sleepiness, you know. But that's to take it personally. These, these, these hindrances are, are around right until full awakening, you know. So, so just notice if there's a judgment there that, that's not allowing you to have this experience, somehow saying that you shouldn't be. And we can overestimate them. Perhaps I'll say that a bit at the end. Um, you know, the core of each hindrance is a resistance to this moment as it is. And so the second step of, of allowing is really important in that. So just softening the resistance to this moment as it is. The, the investigation of the third, the third aspect of this acronym. You know, it's, it's inv- investigation that awakens practice. It's pretty difficult to be completely stuck in a hindrance and interested in it to be really interested in my anger or my you know, resistance to metta or my boredom. You know, be really interested in boredom. Drives our economy. It's worth being interested in. And they, the hindrances try to keep us unconscious. They keep trying to point our attention to objects, <coughs> lunch, the other person, my practice, Gaia House, whatever it is, rather than allowing us to, you know, what we need to do is to turn our attention and investigate the hindrance itself, be interested in the anger rather than the object that the anger has latched onto. And as part of the exploration, and the investigation is to, is to explore what feeds the trance of the hindrance and what diminishes it. You know, when I'm feeling afraid, what makes me more afraid and what makes me less afraid? And making that an exploration in the practice. There's something in, in working with the hindrances about really exploring what they need, you know. So, so sleepiness tends to need something energizing where we may, you know, open the eyes or lift the front of the spine or stand up or just have a sense of the space in the room because sleepiness tends to contract a sense of space, you know. Or, or exploring, you know, how boredom is a sort of withdrawal of our sensitivity from the moment, and actually, okay, so what boredom needs is for me really to be interested in this moment. Oh, okay. 
and something shifts. Or seeing how, how restlessness, again, needs, needs, needs a big space. It needs, may need a, a, a sense of, of vastness. Like in India where they say, if you've got a mad elephant, give it a big field. You know? So you, you have a sense of the, the vastness of space in which you let the restlessness reside. Or working with doubt, you know, you know, what does it need? Well, maybe what it needs is to, to have a sense, well, what can I know? Even if I don't know that this practice is right for me or that I can do it, what can I know? I can know this moment. I can know this breath. I can know that doubt is clouding the mind. One of the things we can notice with all the hindrances is that they, they, they bring with them a loss of morale and a loss of confidence. And again, that's something to be interested in, to investigate. Ah, it's interesting. You know, sleepiness makes me feel less good about myself. Interesting. You know, not believing that. And, and this, this relates very much in the final part of this acronym, which is the not-self piece. Which is, which is, if you like, taking the I out of it. Instead of saying, I'm really angry, it's, ah, oh, okay, so anger is here. Or restlessness is here. Or boredom is here. Something so crucial about not taking these hindrances personally. You know, we can see them as a personal affliction. But in fact, what they are is part of the human condition. There is impersonal, they're part of the human condition, and they're as impersonal as the weather, which is why rain may be quite a good acronym for them. You know, they're just going to come and go. You know, and and just to take that sense of of self judgment or self blame or them belonging to us out of the experience. Hmm. So recognize, allow, investigate, not self, or non-identification. I think as we work with these uh, experiences, we can, you know, I just invite a, a sense of compassion for ourselves, you know, and a sense of our, you know, our common humanity as we sit here and, and uh, practice with these perennial experiences of the human condition. And the, the not overestimating them piece that I said I'd leave till last is really just to know that it is quite possible to have experiences of to, to, to weaken the forces of the hindrances in our lives and in our minds and to have experiences on retreat where, where we, we're not experiencing hindrance attacks and that the uh, 
the ultimate ending of the force of the hindrances in our lives is possible. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.